What would you do if you had finally gotten your dream job? But one day when you were leaving work, you were attacked by a monster. And then, I'm sorry if that noise is too scary for you. And then we find out what would happen if the police are investigating a murder, but the suspects are out of this world. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I really do mean that, even though I say it over and over and over again. I truly mean that. To start the story off, let's go ahead and welcome in one of our Thanksgiving livestream contributors walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Give it up for 120. Woo! Give him a big round of applause. Give him a high five or 20. 120, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon or the show financially, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Talk about it online. Talk about it with your friends, your family. All of those things help this show grow. And if you were a contributor during our Christmas live stream, don't worry. You guys are coming up. We're almost through all of our Thanksgiving live stream contributors. And then we'll move on to Christmas. But for right now, 120, wearing a little Christmas hat, reminding us of the holidays. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are driving all the way out to Houston, Texas. Nice leisurely drive. My hands out the window. It's making those wave things. Wee! Going up and down with the airflow. The year is 1986, and we're at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. And there's a dude, his name is Frank Shaw. Now, I said in the beginning of the intro that this was his dream job. I don't know. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't specified in his story. I just kind of added that detail in because I thought it sounded neat. But for full disclosure, I didn't make that up. Frank Shaw is working at NASA as an archivist. He's an archivist, so basically he doesn't get to ride on the space shuttle. He doesn't get to try on the suits. He's not one of the fashion models in the suits. He doesn't even get to look at the computers and go, they did it, they did it, everybody, and then, like, clap. He gets to to read the books, the accounts of everyone else who gets to do that stuff. He's, like, reading their diary. It's like, dear diary, today I fell in love with Neil Armstrong. So he goes and he's like looking through notes and stuff like that. He's an archivist. So he's like in the basement. He's in the basement of NASA. He doesn't even get to see the space shuttles taking off. He's like, oh, man. They're like, you don't even get to look at the moon at night, sir. Be in the basement. So he's down in the basement. He's looking through these archives. And he's making the archives. It's not like he's just going through dusty books. He's like he's like clipping out pictures of the newspaper. He's like clipping out articles and has a glue stick and he's like putting them on paper. Ah, another archive done for today. My name's Frank Shaw and apparently this is my dream job. Dream job, dream job. As his voice echoes through this giant basement. Frank Shaw, who's most likely going to sue me if he ever hears this episode, he's like, damn it, my job wasn't that. I have a computer, sir. I had a very, very high-tech workspace for the year 1986, and it wasn't my dream job. I always wanted to be a ballerina. As Frank Shaw is leaving this facility one day, (laughs) the sunlight is in his eyes. He's like, ah, what's that? What's that burning orb in the sky? As he's leaving work, his pale skin glistening, he's walking out to his car. He's slithering out like some sort of golem-esque creature. And he happens to be walking to his car. And at this point, he kind of looked up for whatever reason. Something caught his eyes. And on top of one of the buildings at the Johnson Space Center, there's a gargoyle. 
And he's like, hmm, hmm. Well, I do know that this is a very nice building. I've heard, I've heard legends about it. I saw pictures of it in the archive. But I don't remember us having a gargoyle statue on the building. And then he realizes this was no statue. It was this jet black creature that he could only describe as a gargoyle. It just had the twisted face of a monster and these huge black wings. And, and Frank, as he's staring at this thing, he's frozen in place. He can't move. He's so terrified as this thing unfurls its giant black leathery wings. And with a loud crackling sound... Jumps off the building and flies into the night sky. Now, Frank is terrified. He just saw a flying monster at a place based on science, right? If you were like at a spooky cemetery and you saw a flying monster, okay, you'd be, you'd be terrified there as well. But I'm trying to say, like, if I saw a flying monster, I'd be like, ah. But it wouldn't break my reality, because I believe in flying monsters. But if you're like a scientist, if you're like, oh, dude, numbers are the best, and that's like all, you just had like a letterman's jacket that just had like a beaker on the back of it, and you had a little pennant that said science on it, that was your thing. If you saw a flying monster, that would destroy your reality, right? People who believe in this stuff, they would be like, yay, I saw a monster. <laughs> you would still be your pants, right? I'm not saying you wouldn't be scared, but it wouldn't change the way you think about the world. But if you're a scientist or an archivist of scientists, it would be soul-shattering. He's eventually able to regain his consciousness, and he gets in his car and he drives home, and his family can tell something's off. First off, the giant wet stain on his slacks. They're like, uh, Frank, are you okay? And he's just like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Just... He's looking up, he's looking up at the house, he's looking at the roof of the house as he's walking in. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, let's just go inside. And he's like walking around, checking all the shadows in the house. They're like, are you okay, dude? And he goes, listen, I was getting off work and I looked up and there was a monster on the edge of the building. And then it flew away. And then I wet my pants and now I'm here. And the family... Listen, they're a rational group of people. They go, whoa, well, first off, don't sit down. Don't sit down on the couch. Change your pants. But secondly, I, I, we, you probably saw something, but it obviously wasn't a flying monster because flying monsters don't exist. And he's like, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I must have been mistaken. And family's like, yeah, yeah, because those don't exist. So he kept it to himself for a while, but he knew what he saw. He knew what he saw. He saw a gargoyle. He saw a monster. It laughed at him with this crackling laugh and then flew away. And he goes, the way it looked at me, it it seemed to enjoy the panic it was inflicting on me. Like, this was a malevolent creature. This wasn't a trick of the light. Generally, generally optical illusions don't get joy in human pain. This one... It felt satisfied that I was so scared of it. So finally, he talked to one of his friends at work, who happened to be his supervisor. Now, this is really, really, really... You got to be really careful with this type of stuff, right? Because your supervisor wants you to be <laughs> wants you to be mentally sane. Most supervisors, I would say all supervisors, want their employees to not be nuts. So by going to your supervisor and 
telling them you saw a monster, you're really putting your job on the line. Again, if your job if your job was a monster hunter, Van Helsing is your boss. He's like, yeah, I hope you saw a monster. That's your job. But at a science-based place, you don't want to hear anything about monsters. So he go, but this is his friend at work. This is his friend at work. So he goes to his friend and says, dude, you're not going to believe this. Like, you're literally not going to believe this. My family doesn't believe it. I have a hard time believing it myself. But a while back when I was leaving work, I saw a gargoyle on the top of our building. And it seemed to enjoy how scared I was of it because I was terrified. And it flew away. And I know that sounds insane, but I just had to tell someone else, even though my entire family doesn't believe me, do you have any idea, like you're around the building a lot, do you know what could have possibly caused this optical illusion? What what do I do? And the supervisor looks at Frank and says, you're not the first person to report that. We have actively been covering up sightings of pretty much what you described. There's a file that is in a secure location. It's not you're not going to be able to read it because we don't want this information to get out, but there have been multiple reports of people seeing a gargoyle-like creature on the property here. And remember those two German Shepherd guard dogs that went missing a while back? Frank's like, no, why would I even remember that? I didn't know we had German Shepherd guard dogs. Well, we do. Well, we did. Because one day, two of these dogs were gutted. Two German Shepherds killed on our property. These are highly trained guard dogs. Found dead. And we believe, as in the supervisors, who are in charge of keeping this conspiracy under wraps... We believe that whatever this creature is killed the guard dogs. So it's not an optical illusion. We don't know what it is. But it's real. And it's dangerous. Apparently after this meeting that Frank had with his friend, at one point he was contacted by a group of investigators. Now, not like independent ghost hunters or something like that. Like investigators apparently from the government that was trying to follow up on some stuff. And they came to him and they got some more details from him. And he told them the story of what he saw. And then the investigators said, do not tell anyone about this. This is an ongoing investigation. Do not reveal this information that you saw a monster at your workplace. And he didn't. He did not repeat the story. Apparently, so this is the way it's laid out. We know about this story because his daughter, Desiree, contacted Nick Redfern, who is a, he writes for Mysterious Universe. He's a well-known author and researcher of the paranormal. And then he did a write-up on this. I got all of my information from an article written on Anom Alien, which is a great paranormal website. I go to it every single day. But yeah, so that's the story. I don't know if Frank Shaw is still alive. I think it's kind of implied that he has passed on if his daughter is telling the story. Because if, if basically if a guy's like, oh no, the government said never tell the story. And then your daughter in the next day starts calling up Nick Redfern or calling up Mysterious Universe or whatever. The dad's going to be mad. He's like, that's 10 spankings for you, a young lady. She's like 38 at this time. I, I, I think the story's implied that he's passed on at this point. 
if you were 40 years old in 1986, you'd only be in your 60s right now. That's not too old, and who knows how old he is. But anyways, the point is is that this that's where the story ends. He didn't tell the story directly. We're hearing that story from his daughter, Desiree. It's an interesting story. Originally, I had it packaged in with my Shadow Men in the Nuclear Facility episode we did last week, but I ran out of time, and I really wanted to spend a chunk of time talking about this because... What we have here is the whole thing. You have the world of science being brushed up against by the world of the paranormal. And why, really? We talked about shadow people possibly walking around nuclear facilities or maybe it was even camouflage soldiers, spies, things like that. But in this one, I don't know of any camouflage technology that allows some spy from another country to flap their wings and cackle as they go up into the night sky. Um, I, it would make, here's, here's my takeaway from this. If I was an evil monster from beyond, sure, it'd be fun terrorizing kids out walking across Crybaby Bridge late at night or hanging out in an abandoned graveyard, just hoping someone walks by so you could spook them. But if you were really a malevolent creature, who would you want to terrify the most? Would you want to terrify ghost hunters and kids who believe in all of this stuff? Or would you rather scare people who don't believe in you. People who you knew based their entire life on logic and facts and had gotten rid of the supernatural beliefs and the superstitions and everything like that. That's who I would scare. And while this creature, I mean, this didn't seem to be like breaking in. It wasn't going through files or trying to fly away with the space shuttle or anything like that. It seemed to have just made its home here and, and took a sadistic delight in terrifying these people and killing their dogs, right? What an interesting story, this creature hanging out at a scientific laboratory. And there's really no implications that it's like a creature of science because it's not like NASA's facility has a bunch of beakers and they're like mixing stuff together and then it accidentally pours on a guy. He's like, oh no, why'd you mix up the gar formula and the goyle formula and put them together? And then he turns into a gargoyle. No, there's no, no that, that didn't happen. Right? I don't think it happened. I mean, all these stories are so bizarre, who knows? But I think the idea that it is a supernatural creature, it's not a misfit of science. And it just delights in destroying the brains of scientists. Interesting, interesting story. I wonder if that file still exists. If you could go to the archives, right? Imagine that. Imagine that you saw this horrible thing and they're like, here, before you retire, before you retire, Frank Shaw, we got one more thing for you to file. They hand him this thick manila folder and it says Goyle, comma, Gar on it. And he's like, uh. They're like, you gotta file, you gotta file this one in the spookiest corner of the archive room. The lights all. They probably didn't do that, right? They probably just gave him a golden watch and a cake and let him go about his way. I don't think they tormented him with that. But again, that's that's what I would have done if I was his supervisor. It turns out that his supervisor was the gargoyle all along, but he never said he never suspected that his best friend slash supervisor, who was eight feet wide and made of stone, he never suspected that that might have been the gargoyle. He did seem to love eating dogs. He thought that was always weird. Whenever he invited his supervisor over for a barbecue, he'd be eyeing the little terrier. Mmm, when are you cooking that? Just kidding. As his eyes shifted from side to side and turned everything to stone that he looked at. 120, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're leaving behind Houston, Texas. We are flying all the way out to... Nebraska. I 
guys are headed out there, I want to do a really quick Dead Rabbit Recommends. This is actually, it's not for a movie, it's for a YouTube documentary, I guess you could put it that way. It's about an hour long, if I remember correctly. There's a YouTube channel I watch all the time, it's called Comic Tropes. It's from this dude, I don't remember his name, uh, Mr. Trope who talks about comic tropes. He talks about, like, here's Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. Here's all the tropes that Frank Miller has in most of his comics. We're going to see how many tropes we can find in one particular issue of this comic book. It's really interesting if you're into comic books. If you're not and your eyes glazed over at all that, you still may want to check out this Dead Rabbit Recommends. I'll put it in the show notes. It turned... This is so fascinating. Recently, he goes, you know what? I didn't have any ideas for an episode this week, but I knew I had to put something out. So I'm just going to tell you guys... I used to be a real-life superhero. He worked with Phoenix Jones, the real-life superhero out of Seattle. And dude, this show... I mean, this is such a... It's like he goes behind the scenes of why he became... He had the full costume and everything. He went by the name Omega. He appeared in one of the many documentaries. I remember watching a bunch of documentaries about real-life superheroes. He was in one of them. And he goes, man, they really took, they really gave the camera angles that made me look like really out of shape. He goes, they really went out of their way to kind of make us look bad. But he exposed, he's talking about like all these other real life superheroes that he goes, they were kind of psychotic. He talks a lot about Phoenix Jones. We did a whole episode on Phoenix Jones a while back. He worked with him. From the early days. It's really interesting. If you're interested in the real life superheroes phenomenon. And really who isn't. And I find that whole subculture just fascinating. And he talks about the rise and fall of Omega. His. Like he was patrolling the streets. Fighting crime and stuff like that. And why he stopped. Really really interesting story. Such a fascinating person all around. I wish I could remember his name. But his channel comic tropes I watch all the time. I'll put that in the show notes. It's just a really interesting hour-long behind-the-scenes. He does, It starts off by him saying, hey, I'm not really going to gossip a bunch. It's not about throwing dirt. And then he spends the next hour just being like, now that guy was a psychopath. Like, he just starts off talking casually, but it's hard to talk casually about all of these insane antics that's going on. So... So Dead Rabbit recommends Comic Tropes episode, I Was a Real Life Superhero. I'll put it in the show notes. It's just a great behind-the-scenes look at that entire subculture from the point of view of a retired real-life superhero. Really, really interesting. And it's a good channel all around, too. 120, we are in Nebraska. We don't have a specific location, so let's just stop here. We're at a house with a nice little garden. Doesn't say it's in the middle of nowhere, but again, this is Nebraska, so we can assume that there's not many neighbors around. It's summertime, 1980. Warm summer breeze blowing through the reeds. It's an afternoon, and a family is sitting at home. You have a mom and a dad and a couple kids. It doesn't say how many kids, right? But you got a mom and a dad and probably a couple little baby people running around. They're just sitting at home and they're enjoying the year 1980. Perpetual fear of a nuclear holocaust. Gas prices through the roof. You know, not much not much different than we have today. And they're sitting at home and then all of a sudden, one of the family members notices movement in the garden outside the house. Hey, Dad. Dad, look. The dad looks out the window and he sees several children walking around the garden. But no, not 
children, childlike figures walking around the garden. There's something about them that the family knew that these weren't just a bunch of local neighborhood kids stomping on their petunias. They were childlike, but not children. And walking with them were two very tall, very thin men. Now, if you were sitting in your house on a warm summer day in 1980 and you saw a bunch of weirdos walking around your garden, you may have a couple different reactions. Hey, get out of my garden! Would be mine, right? I'd yell at them. Um, you might just ignore them and go, we all we wanted to plant a new garden anyways. Those flowers sucked. And you let them trample through the garden. But in this story, one of the family members, there's not a lot of specifics here, so we'll say it's the father. The father has a very Nebraska way to deal with this. He grabs a shotgun and says, I'm going to go outside. And they go, well, no, 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 don't go outside. With <laughs> There's a bunch of little kids in the garden. I mean, they look weird, right? What are you going to do? And he goes, I'm just going to investigate. I'm going to investigate with a double-barreled shotgun that's loaded. So I'm just going to quote-unquote investigate. And he leaves the house, and everyone's like, ah. And when he has left the house, about five minutes pass. Bam! They heard a loud bang, much louder than the sound I made, because I know people fall asleep listening to this podcast. Bang! But way louder. They actually said it didn't sound like a gun blast. It didn't sound like a shotgun had gone off. It sounded more like a short burst of thunder. That kind of sound that echoes through the atmosphere. The family runs outside, and there, by a fish pond that they have on their property... The father is laying there on his back, his eyes wide open, every muscle in his body tight and taut. He's dead. While the authorities are on their way, the family's examining the body, and they realize there's no wound to this dude. He's not bleeding from anywhere. He doesn't have a hole anywhere. So he wasn't accidentally killed with his own shotgun. It didn't seem to be a gunshot of any kind. They did hear that loud noise, but there's nothing. His body is completely rigid. Every muscle is tensed up. But there's no blood. There's no hole in him. There's just what they can see. A small cylinder of silver, well, they can't identify that it's silver yet, but a small cylinder of some sort of metal is embedded just underneath his skin. Police department gets there, the ambulance gets there, they take him away, and when they do the autopsy, they do realize that this small cylinder is made of silver, but they don't know how it got there. It doesn't look like he was shot, either accidentally or on purpose. The police, though ruled this as an accidental death. Couldn't really explain what it was. But there's really only four causes of death. There's natural, homicide, suicide, and accidental. When you're t well, legally, those are like the four types of death that will appear on a death certificate. Natural, homicide, suicide, or accidental. So they wouldn't know how... To, it wasn't suicide. It wasn't homicide. It wasn't natural. <laughs> There's definitely nothing natural in this whole thing. So the only other way they could mark it as accidental. And people go, well, there must have been some sort of cover-up. How could you accidentally get a piece of silver embedded under your skin when a bunch of little, little kid-like beans are running around? That's really the only thing left you could put on there. Not necessarily a police cover-up, but this does make it a bit of a cover-up. 
the police kept that piece of metal, that little silver cylinder. They wouldn't give it back to the family. So apparently the police department of this unnamed Nebraska town still has what's possibly a murder weapon. Because really the implication is, is that he was killed by the aliens or whatever these beans were. The reason why we focus on them being aliens is because this actually came, this story was related to Whitley Stryber. Whitley Stryber, who's most famous for writing the book Communion, which really put the idea of the gray alien into the consciousness of America, really of the world. This story was told in a follow-up book of his called The Communion Letters, which is a book about other people encountering these aliens and focusing on implants, alien abduction, things like that. It's interesting, if you look at the Amazon reviews for the book The Communion Letters, one, it's, this is so fascinating to me, the book is $70 now, because it's out of print, but you can get a Kindle version for $3.99. I'm a huge fan of what the Kindle, of what electronic books are doing for all of these old UFO books that otherwise would be completely out of print. We wouldn't be able to get it. What's interesting, though, is if you look at the Amazon reviews, one of the top reviews is from someone whose letter is in the book. They said, listen, I know there are people who don't believe the stories are true, but my letter is in that book. I My letter's in that book. And there's another letter in that book that is very, very closely connected to my story. He goes, you know, I, it wasn't easy for me to agree to have my letter published, but I'm glad that I did. That, that's a cool review. Someone who was like, obviously you're going to buy the book if you're in it, right? There are people, though, who think that the stories are made up. And, and that's really going to be the case with any of this UFO paranormal stuff, is that people are going to think that it's made up, which is fine, right? People don't have to believe in everything that I believe in. It's not my job to convert them. If you don't believe in UFOs, if you don't believe the same stuff that I do, I hope you're at least entertained by the stories, right? And a lot of people do. A lot of people go, I don't believe it, but I sure like hearing about it, reading about it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think the story's super interesting because... My question is, how often does this type of thing happen? The reason why we have this story connected at all to aliens is because there's a whole set of witnesses there. And there's a mysterious death. When you have someone who walks outside with a shotgun, is walking around the house, and then you hear a loud clap of thunder and he's dead, that's unusual. <laughs> Most people don't die like that. But what if this guy lived alone? And he walked around in his front yard, and he, everything else is the same. He grabs his shotgun. He goes outside. He's laying there. He gets the clap of thunder. No one's around to hear it. He's laying there out in his yard. And no one notices he's missing until a couple days pass, and his boss is trying to find him. He's, he has to take over as a NASA archivist. But he doesn't show up to work, and then they go out there and they find the body. It's already starting to decay, and they go, oh, uh, I wonder what killed him. Heart attack? Aneurysm? Never really could probably find a cause for it. Would list it as accidental. Wouldn't be looking for really a cause. The body's decayed for a couple days. They wouldn't be looking for an implant. And if anyone found the implant, might have just got tossed aside because the death wouldn't be mysterious. But you'd go, maybe it would still be mysterious. Someone in their 30s, early 40s, just dropping dead. It, we know what it usually is, heart attack, widow maker, that kind of thing, aneurysm, we know where to look. What if this guy was 83 and he wakes up late at night and he's walking through his house and when he gets to the kitchen, he turns and he sees two gray aliens 
rifling through his silverware. <laughs> they need more money. They need some. They're going to pawn him off to buy a new spaceship. And he drops dead in the middle of the night. No one's around. Are they even going to autopsy that guy, right? 80 years old, dead in his house. No one even knows to call on him, right? His kids never check in on him. It's not good. You should always check in on your parents. But how long is he there for? A month? After the cats are done eating him, they, they, they swallow the implant. The little cat's walking around with a little piece of silver in his belly. You know what I mean? Like, this would be such a bizarre way to go. And no one would really know to look for it unless there are witnesses that experienced it and said we had all this other stuff. If you lived by yourself and you just dropped dead... I know this is a super cheery episode, right? It's a great, great way to think about it. But you know what I mean? Like, would anyone investigate your death? Or would it look like a natural death? A lot of that has to depend on your age and your general health. You know, my father used to be a mortician. And when elderly people die, you don't autopsy them. Right? If someone's 92 years old, it's not like the autopsy guy's putting on his gloves. He's like, I got to figure out what happened to this 92-year-old woman who was smoking for 30 years and had type 1 and somehow type 2 diabetes. And I think they almost had type 3 diabetes. Well, let's figure out what killed this person. No. So at that point, anything could happen to them. So I wonder how many, even if it was a fraction, right? I'm not saying that every time someone just drops dead, they were shot by an alien. But it, maybe this happens three or four times a year. We know this story because there were so many moving elements. The aliens were walking around in the yard. Everyone saw them. Guy grabs a shotgun, prepares himself for a violent confrontation for what he thought were tiny kids and tall people. And then drops dead. You wonder how many... I'm not saying every person who dies is shot by an alien, but some of them might be. Some of them may have spent their final moments on Earth turning on a kitchen light and seeing an alien being standing there in the darkness. Or hearing a weird noise in the garage outside, throwing on their bathrobe, grabbing a flashlight, going to investigate. Never coming out of the garage. They're just found there. And people go, oh, you know, he's such a nice guy. You know, he's he's older, probably wasn't that healthy, but he must have had a heart attack and just died in his garage. And If we look at alien lore as a total thing, if we believe in all of the alien lore, they abduct an awful lot of people a year. Right? I, I, I would probably put the number in the in the low thousands, maybe in the upper hundreds range. And we're including new abductees. Uh, usually they'll re-abduct people, but I would probably put the number around that. I'd probably put the number in the maybe 2,900, something around there. And that's just a guess. The number could be wildly higher. I'm just talking about that's not re-people being re-abducted. Those are new abductions. It, that seems high, actually, but when you think about the entire population of the Earth, that's, that's quite low. I wonder how many of those end in death for the abductee. We don't know, right? We don't have the setup to investigate these things. And we don't have the will to investigate these things either. Most people just don't believe they exist. Most people don't believe these things are happening at all. 
So when someone does drop dead because they surprised an alien or confronted an alien or just happened to wander past one while it's on its mission and it turns and looks at you and ends your life, just looks like an accident or a natural death. It's creepy to think that this is our planet, but we're not the masters of it. Like That's really what all these stories come down to. That's what makes them scary. This is our planet. We're in charge. We're the top dog on this planet. But then something can just come down in their vehicle and kill us. Mutilate our cattle. Kidnap our children. And there's nothing we can do about it. And the people out there who are supposed to protect us, the government, the police, the army, they're either oblivious to it, or they've heard about it and don't believe it, or they're in on it. The scariest thing that all of these stories share, whether it's a vampire, whether it's an alien, whether it's a monster on your building at work, is that we are not kings of our planet. We're just here, like everything else is here. And we're being visited by things stronger and faster and more cunning than we are. That's what makes these stories scary. It puts us in our place. Not only do they put us in our place, they return us to a childlike mentality where we become afraid of the dark. We become afraid of what we can't see. We become afraid of what we can only sense is outside of our vision. These ghosts and these ghouls and these aliens standing at the foot of our bed or hiding underneath our car or squeezed into the gap behind your bedroom dresser. We like to rationalize and think, no, we are the kings of our world, and there are scientific laws that dictate things. And this story is not true, and the gargoyle story never happened, and our reality is dictated by laws that have been explained through science. But is that true? Or is that just like a man gripping a life preserver in the middle of the ocean? trying to rationale that he is safe, he is okay, and he will be rescued soon. As a swarm of sharks is already headed his way. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. 